Welcome into Locked On Knicks. I am Alex Wolf. He is Gavin Shaw. We are your host duo, but we are joined by a very special guest today. We have Terry Ross of NYK Terry and Trey from YouTube. Uh, Terry is here to help us on this very special late Tuesday going into early Wednesday edition of Locked On Knicks to break down Frank Nilakina's play in the FIBA World Cup for the French team. And we also talk a little bit about the state of the Knicks front office, just much, just how much time Scott Perry is going to get as the leader of the Knicks front office. And, and then we get a little bit into David Fisdale, um, how we'd assess his first year as a coach, what we need to see from him in his second year, whether he is the long-term solution at that spot, and what the Knicks rotation is going to look like next season. All that and more next on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Knox foul from behind, counting at one. As Fisdale pumps his fist. What he does is contagious. Robinson with a catch and slam. Across the lane to Trier. Trier drives Becomes infectious. All right, we'll get right into our discussion with Terry Ross of NYK Terry and Trey. But just a quick reminder that today's show is brought to you in part by Indochino, which is a great menswear brand. Uh, You could go into one of their many locations, get yourself measured up, and then you can get custom ordered suits right to your door without even having to step out of your living room if you want. Once you get your initial measurements done, you can also get your measurements done right in your house. But it's a very great service with great uh affordable suits shirts chinos and more yeah yeah alex and i both got a chance to experience it on a personal level because we were lucky enough to do um a little little ad for indochino across the locked on podcast network which if you've been listening to locked on Knicks, you've hopefully heard throughout this week and i i've never had a better experience in a clothing store those guys are just awesome they make you feel welcome from the second you walk in they, they take all your measurements and they do it in such a like seamless entertaining way maybe i just got lucky with my stylist but it, it was it was really really picture perfect a, a genuinely uh, a lot of fun and i just got my shirt in the mail alex i didn't even tell you this beforehand i tried it on it fits great i really love the way i look in it so i cannot recommend indochino enough and if that's not enough incentive for you rj barrett is a indochino spokesperson so you want to get in with us you want to much more importantly get in with rj barrett uh shop at indochino they do great work so without further ado uh we will now get into our lovely discussion with terry ross of nyk terry and trey all right, and welcome into Locked On Knicks. I am Alex Wolf, uh, joined as always by Gavin Shaw, but joined not as always by Terry Ross from NYK Terry and Trey on YouTube, a phenomenal Knicks channel if you're not familiar with it. Uh, Terry, fun fact about you is that your full name is Terrence Ross, which you have in part abandoned because you got tired of all the jokes about the NBA player Terrence Ross, correct? A 100% college was not fun for me every day. But I got this question. What do you think, guys? If he ever came to the Knicks, I have to get that jersey, right? 
Oh, oh no my doubt. god, a hundred percent. Yeah, <laughs> I, <laughs> it wouldn't even wouldn't even be a question. I, I think I think you would deserve to get to meet him at that point. You could just come out and be like, "Hey, lifelong Knicks fan, also named Terrence Ross." Like this, this has to happen, and I think the Knicks would would essentially be obliged to to do that for you. Oh yeah, he'd blow my channel up. It'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you guys are season ticket holders too, so I mean, you could definitely make that happen. That could definitely happen if he ever comes to the Knicks. I don't yeah. know if that's going to happen now, though. I feel like he probably just signed maybe his last big deal of his career recently. Yeah, but so let's hope we're not paying him money anytime soon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, here's hoping. Maybe he's a vet minimum in a couple of years on the super team. Uh, he could be like our, you know, eighth man or whatever. That would be pretty cool. But here's hoping, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Terry. Uh, so one of the main things that I want to talk about today, because uh, we're releasing this, uh, I'm, I'm doing this a little unconventional. We're releasing this uh, on Tuesday night because the FIBA World Cup, all the games happen so early in the morning. So in case anybody wants to uh, get into it and listen to uh, this in, as a prep, uh, we want to talk a little bit about Frank Milikina because I know that you've watched every single one of France's games. You put out some great highlight videos where you sort of break down Frank's game as well as just the game at hand, uh, you know, for France. And so, you know, we just kind of want to like talk back and forth a little bit about Frank's play and kind of things that you've seen. Uh, because honestly, it's he's drawn pretty rave reviews uh, across the board for his play in the FIBA tournament because he's, I don't know, he's being trusted to be a point guard. Um, he seems to be a little more comfortable in his own skin for whatever reason on that team, uh, probably because he's playing for his, his coach that he played for as a teenager. Uh, but it, it just seems like he's doing pretty well. So far, he's, he's averaging 18 and a half minutes per game, uh, seven points on 41% from the field, 43% from three, which... If that carries over to the NBA, watch out. Uh, 100% free throw shooting, two and a half assists per game, about three rebounds, one and a half steals, and only 1.2 turnovers per game. So, like, Terry, what have been some of your thoughts about Frank so far watching him in these five games that he's played in the FIBA tournament leading into this this game against Team USA? Cool. Yeah, so Frank has been really interesting to watch this summer. Uh, The summer starts off with, First of all, we have the draft night where it seems like a million percent he's going to be traded. Yeah, I've never seen rumors be so heavy and then nothing happens. Going into the offseason, he's doing all the training in Dallas. We're seeing him shooting. We saw him shoot before. We saw him shoot last summer. And we saw him translate a little at the beginning, then he fell off. So a lot of eyes on Frank. And he, as we know, one of the most polarizing players, maybe in Knicks history. It sounds crazy to say, but the last three years or two years, of talking about Frank online has been an insane experience for Nick fans. So he goes into FIBA, and he trusted with the starting role. Now, this is huge. France is a veteran team. He's, I believe, the youngest guy on the roster, but clearly the least experienced compared to, like, Nicolas Batum, Evan Fournier, Rudy Gobert. And he's been trusted with the point guard role. Like you mentioned, his former coach, Vincent Collette, knows him, trusts him with that role, but he earned it because in the warm-up games, he did play well enough to earn it. It wasn't just handed to him. And we get to see a lot of things that people have been wanting to see from him in terms of being a bit more aggressive. But also on his side, you're seeing him play in a team and a system where he's very comfortable. And to me, if anything, the biggest takeaway for me this summer from Frank so far is comfort. He's so comfortable, not just in the system, but even just ball handling in general. You can genuinely see a progression. But he's such a weird player because even though you mentioned his stats, and they're not mind-blowing by any means, but for Frank, you know, seeing the 40, was it 43% shooting from three, that's really good to see. Even the field goal percentage being above 40 is good to see. 
But with him, it's really about not just his stats, what he's doing off ball, how he's communicating. And I really see a growth in confidence. He's had, I would say, of the five games, he's had three pretty good ones, one really bad one, and one that was kind of middling. But especially his last game against Australia, though he didn't finish strong, you know, Frank, he'll give you like a really hot 10 minutes early and you might think this is the game and then you don't really see it for the rest. But that was a pretty tough opponent and he had a really bad game the game before. So it was great to see him come out against Australia and really show a lot in that first quarter. He got seven points in the first quarter alone, a couple assists, played some good defense. Um, and it felt, he just felt like the, he was comfortable. And then the intensity of the game forced him to play without thinking. So that's really the biggest takeaways I've been seeing from him so far. And, you know, tomorrow morning, I feel like this game tomorrow, unfortunately for him, is going to be a referendum on his FIBA tournament because I don't, everyone's not watching. You know, it, people are getting bits and pieces here, but every eye is going to be on that USA game tomorrow morning. And I kind of feel like whatever happens tomorrow is going to define his FIBA tournament to everyone. You guys feel the same way? Right. And, and I guess, what, what did you make of his struggles against Lithuania? Because that, that was one of the few games like I did get to catch a bit of. And, and I guess, what do you think? I, I know you mentioned he got off to like that great start against Australia, but like, what do you think uh, shifted for him um, in that next game? Well, I think now, I think, if anything, maybe Frank <laughs> is kind of owning to himself some of these bad games more and putting a bit more pressure on himself. We've seen this a couple times with the Knicks where he'd have a zero-point game and you'd definitely see him come out the next game and push a little bit more. I think he's getting better and better at that. Up to the Lithuania game, you couldn't really point to any poor performance. Like, there, you know, the Germany game was a decent start to the tournament. Very good against Jordan. Very good against Dominican Republic. Lithuania comes, and the jump in, in intensity is massive between Dominican Republic and Lithuania. Lithuania, you know, if you've been following, they kind of got screwed in that game by a bad goaltending call. And this is a team that could have gone even further. So... When that jump in intensity, I felt the physicality was off the charts. Domatis Sabonis was, you know how he plays, very physical down low. And the, the referees were letting a lot of things go. Frank got in a little bit of foul trouble early and he never got into rhythm. So that game was part some of the old Frank that we see, you know, shying away from the ball, you know, maybe too many ticky-tack fouls. But I think the physicality kind of caught him off guard. And because he wasn't able to play for any consistent period of time, he ended up playing 13 minutes. He got what, zero points. He had four fouls two assists, two boards. Um, so not a lot of time on the court, but also no consistent time. So it just felt like a stop-start that whole game for him. But I love that he came out against Australia, and you could see from the, you know, the onset, you know, Patty Mills was pushing him the first possession, and Frank pushed back. And he clearly was determined to not have that same kind of game, which is, with Frank, it's always going to be baby steps, right? So even that was good to see from a, you know, just a mental standpoint with him, because I think for him, so much of it is still mental. Uh, I think he has the tools to do a few things in the league and do them well enough. But I think he gets in his own head sometimes. And then obviously sometimes, you know, he doesn't get to play enough and you can see how it affects him. So, But this summer has been good. I think, if anything, Frank needs playtime. So him playing FIBA is excellent for him and for the Knicks because he will come into training camp more prepared than he's ever been in his two seasons so far. So if he's ever going to make some kind of blip on the radar for the Knicks in terms of the long-term future, this would kind of be it. In term, and obviously, we know the contract decisions coming up as well. Yeah, you know, it's funny, like, not to bring up um, the name of he who must not be named, but, <laughs> you know, one former Nick, a uh, tall white guy who used to shoot three pointers and stuff. Uh, he, he once, you know, played an international tournament and then came back and, you know, kind of lit the world up. I mean, granted, different, different caliber of player, 
you know, from Frank, I think you could definitely say, but you know, there is definitely something to be said for that, like international play boost that these guys get where instead of just playing, you know, black ops scrimmages or whatever with Chris Brickley over the summer and, you know, dunking on each other and having a good time, they're actually out there playing, you know, organized basketball, like granted, the only downside is the injury risk and stuff goes up when you start playing like for real hard basketball again. But like, I, I'd say this is really good for Frank. Like I, I would hate to see him get hurt or something. That would be the only thing that would really make me be like, damn, was this worth it? But like, even if he did, he'd still have time to recover, hopefully for the season, you know? And, and I, I think this has been totally worth it for him because to your point, like I did notice, you know, mostly because I watched again, your excellent highlight video that you put out on NYK Terry and Trey on YouTube. Uh, I watched your your highlight film of Australia and I was like, you know what? This is like, this is like what I think Fisdale needs to do to make Frank feel comfortable. Like he was running just a lot of basic like pick and roll and stuff. And it wasn't, wasn't anything too crazy, but it was just like free yourself up on the pick and roll. Feel free to take an elbow jumper. If you want, feel free to take a three. If you want, you know, feel free to drive to the hoop. Like it it was just, it was very freewheeling and it, it allowed Frank to sort of like, have just like a quick option right in front of him of like, Frank, we want you to do something on this play and you're going to dictate what's going to happen. So take this, take this pick and figure out what you're going to do with it. And I, I thought that was really good. I mean, that's what I'd like to see for him because it it's, you know, the oldest play in basketball, but it gives you so many, so many options. And, you know, it's obviously integral if Frank is ever going to, you know, realize his potential as a point guard that's a play that he has to master. So I I've been pretty encouraged by seeing how they've been running that. And then also how he's performed off ball in some situations as well, which I kind of think that, you know, we knew that he could do anyway to some degree at least, but yeah, it's, it's been pretty encouraging. I'd say. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, to your point about FIBA, I remember Rudy Gobert himself a few years before he really broke out in Utah said the same thing. He said when he played a couple of years in the NBA, then went to play FIBA and came back, his confidence level in terms of his ability, I guess, you know, playing in the NBA and seeing, you know, having to grind through that and then getting to play international ball against, you know, maybe a lot of inferior talent, regardless of how hard they're playing, and kind of seeing how much better you are and being able to impose your will on the game. He said it made a big difference in his confidence going into the season. You brought up the, uh, you know, he who shall not be named from Dallas. And I think as well, we might, you know, we might see a little bump from Frank in that regard. Uh, if, if not, you can at least say of all the seasons he's had, he's had so far, this is the best he's going to be coming in prepared. He's going to be in game shape. The FIBA World Cup is essentially the NBA finals for these teams. So even if the talent level isn't there, the intensity, the, the, you know, the effort that's being put in, the physicality, is at that very high level. You know, tomorrow morning is actually the biggest game of his career. I was thinking about this. The Knicks have not been in any important games since he's been drafted. So tomorrow, playing the quarterfinals of the World Cup, which is only every four years, for France, against the United States, this is really the biggest game of his career so far. Um, So we'll see how he does in the morning. I think it's a great point, Terry, because we've heard um, a lot of pundits remark on uh, specifically younger guys like De'Aaron Fox and Devin Booker, choosing to opt out of playing in the World Cup, where for them it would nominally, like you look at someone like Devin Booker, I mean, it's the same thing you could say about Frank. Like he's essentially like never played a meaningful game in the NBA. And you contrast that with like Team USA, who theoretically would have desperately needed someone of his caliber as a scorer. Maybe we'll find out as soon as tomorrow that they they don't have quite enough 
um, talent to win, or at least offensive firepower to win uh, a FIBA championship or FIBA World Cup this time around. And, and someone like him could have made the difference. And, and you look at the inverse of that and say for someone like Devin Booker, it could have made all the difference in the world. So applying that to Frank, I, I think this is such a big deal for him. And if he could come out and play well against a Kemba Walker or a Donovan Mitchell or whoever France chooses to match him up with, it, it could do wonders for his confidence next season. I, I guess my final question for you, Terry, on Frank Nilakina before we wrap up this initial segment is, do you think any of this matters in the sense that are the Knicks going to give Frank a fair shot? You, you were saying right at the beginning of the show, and I, I was talking about this on um, the WFAN podcast, the bank shot that me and Alex did this morning, a little plug there, um, that it, it really did seem like the Knicks were somewhat intent on trading Frank. And, and you can certainly argue that those rumors were overblown and like that they were just open to the possibility of trading him, that they were maybe open to the possibility of trading almost anyone. But all, all that being said, it, it certainly doesn't seem high on the Knicks priority list specifically compared to Dennis Smith Jr. and Alfred Payton. Do, do you think he gets a fair shot? at being the starting point guard on the, at the onset of next season? Personally, no, but not just because, not like I think there's a vendetta against him per se, but I think they've really shifted. You know, Perry's been trying to bring Alfred Payton here for a while. You can see the Knicks are all in on Dennis Smith Jr. Now, that's not to say that Frank, Frank can somehow go above and beyond. He will play. I just don't think he's going to get a direct shot at the starting point guard, but I think he can definitely earn minutes. Um, whether it's at the one, two, or the three next year. And I think his versatility is really what, you know, what will, if he makes it this season, if he gets minutes, if he gets to play, if he gets to show an improvement, I think it's going to come down, it's going to really come down to his versatility more so than him being locked into that point guard position. And I feel as Frank has grown, I think another thing that's not spoken about enough with him is he's been growing every year he's been in the league. And I feel like he's had a tough time adjusting to his body. You look at him rookie year to now in FIBA, he certainly looks like his older brother. He's grown, you know, I think, is it one or two inches maybe in height since then, or at least height with shoes when you measure by the NBA uh, measurements. And his wingspan's grown as well. And he's a lot bigger in terms of just size. I think he came in the league maybe right at 200, and I think he's in the 215s now. So he's been growing at the same time, which is why, you know, I, I would, for me personally, I feel, I still feel like I want to see him in the G League if you're not giving him minutes, because I can see a prospect like him, someone who just wants to work hard, play defense, pass the ball, and he's 21. I feel like he's a guy at like 25, he's going to be where you want him to be. But Tony Parker said it rookie year. He said, I think Frank's going to be a very good player. I just don't know if New York is going to be patient. And I, I, you can definitely see that sentiment, whether it's not just the fans and maybe the organization as well. So I certainly hope he gets one. But again, I'll say, if, you know, any of all these possible situations, of all the, the multiverse of things that could have happened to Frank, him coming in off a of FIBA World Cup, which ends September 15th, if they make it all the way, which should be about, you know, 10 days maybe before training camp. Even if his tournament ends tomorrow, that's a two weeks before training camp. So... It's really ideal for him in terms of the intensity he's been going through for the past month, playing the warm-ups and then playing the tournament. So he should come in, you know, a little bit ahead of some guys physically and maybe even in terms of game speed. So he, he needs to make that translate onto training camp four and really show Fisdale and co. that he deserves minutes if he, you know, if he wants to stay here. No doubt. Um... Yeah, let's, let's take a quick break. We'll, we'll take our first, uh, our first break here and then come back. We're just going to talk with Terry about uh, the upcoming season, 
and the offseason and everything. Just kind of, you know, spitball for a little bit. So we'll be right back to Locked on Knicks. Hey, are you in the New York area and looking to promote your business to a young, predominantly male demographic? Then Locked on Knicks is the podcast for you. 80% of our listeners fall between the ages of 18 and 44, and 98% of those listeners are male. As the top Knicks podcast on the market, we offer a unique opportunity to engage with basketball fans in the city. If interested in an ad spot or live read, email LockedOnKnicks at gmail.com for more information on pricing and availability. Our rates are very affordable compared to radio and offer a chance to reach an audience on an ever-growing platform. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. It's me and Alex with Terry Ross of the famed Twitter account, uh, New York Knicks, Terry and Trey. Give them a follow. Great content all the time. Uh, we were just talking Frank Nilakina, and now we're going to go in, in sort of a completely different direction, though. I, I guess you could argue um, uh, Frank is maybe maybe a symptom of, of a bigger problem and, and talk a little bit about like Steve Mills, the Knicks front office, James Dolan, Terry, I know, I know you have a lot of thoughts on all this stuff, but you, you were just sort of pointing out to us um, during the break that there, there's a pretty good chance, and we didn't actually look this up, but I'm I'm relatively sure it's true, that Steve Mills has the worst record by winning percentage of any Knicks GM ever. And I guess Scott just sort Perry. Of, Scott Perry more. Oh, um, yeah. Scott Perry. We, sure. we love to be, blame Mills for everything anyway. Right. I mean, yeah. yeah. I, I don't know. I have, I have warmer feelings about uh, Scott Perry than Steve Mills. So I just wanted to put uh, Steve Mills' name out there. But yeah, uh, sure. Scott Perry. And I, I, I don't know. I, I guess I'm, I'm trying to think of like the specific way I want to frame this. But I guess it's just interesting to look at what's the timeline for Scott Perry. Because all, all the talk has been that the Knicks, I mean, I, we're, we're guilty of it too a little bit. But like the Knicks, like more stable than ever. Like even with the Porzingis trade, like obviously, like, I mean, I, I didn't have the warmest feelings about it. But the general consensus, okay, they were ahead of it. They made the right move. They, they had um, just... They, they anticipated what could happen. They took the right swing to try and get Durant in a second superstar. And it didn't work out, but it wasn't necessarily their fault. And, and then you just sort of look at the hard facts and you say, okay, but the record's horrible. And like, and James Dolan isn't, not that he, like, he, I think he generally does give his GMs a little bit of a long leash, but with just how bad things have been going for year after year after year, you almost have to look at it again and say like, okay, like, but how long until you're back in that situation where there's a guy in the on the hot seat and Knicks fans opinions have kind of flipped and said, okay, this is BS. Like, again, you brought in another guy who doesn't really know what he's doing. And clearly they've maintained flexibility right now. They've made some really good draft picks, but at at some point the record has to be there. And at least on their current trajectory, it doesn't seem like, like when, when are the, when is this team making the playoffs? Like it it just, it doesn't seem like it's going to happen the next two seasons. Yeah. I mean, I've been trying to take a step back because I think genuinely speaking, you know, most Nick fans, if not like 90% of Nick fans are happy with Scott Perry. It also is, you know, it's, it's indicative of what we've gone through in the past. But Perry to me has been a solid like 7 out of 10, 8 out of 10 since he's been here. I've had some issues with him at times with maybe being a bit too cautious. But then again, looking at our history since 2000, I think a cautious GM is exactly what we needed. But taking a step back, you know, and I do not, I think Perry has a plan. I do not think he should be let go. I wonder, for someone like Dolan, we don't know what his mindset is, what he's thinking. This is the James Dolan who went on radio and was very, as much as he could, you know, spoke about a summer that was coming, seemed excited, seemed like he heard big things, seemed definitely that he, not to, I don't want to use the word assurances, but at least maybe in conversations with Perry and Mills, got reassured that we would be major players this summer. 
that comes and goes, and Dolan is really the one taking the heat for it. I'm sure in some capacity, Perry and Mills were able to explain to him, you know, it was maybe, you know, it was out of our control, this, that, the other, the injury for KD, whatever transpired. But I do wonder how Dolan took it. And I wonder if at some point is Dolan going to say, well, you started in 2017, you know, KP gets, you start, you know, we have decent start. KP gets injured. You can't control that. We suck the rest of the year. Then we suck the entirety of the next season. And you trade KP who was supposedly the shining star of the franchise. If this year doesn't show some kind of turnover towards a more positive end, if we just have like maybe bickering and infighting between the vets and their kids, fighting for playing time, and the Knicks finish like 20, with 25 wins, how, you know, is, is Dolan just kind of like, so what exactly is going on here? Because you can't just claim, oh, we got eight more wins on last year. That's great. You know, there, there is going to be a point where, as much as I do believe Perry's long-term goal, it, you might see Dolan popping up saying, this isn't exactly what I planned for. You know, you told, you pro- maybe Perry promised him stars. We don't really know what happened in private conversations, but it's something I've been thinking about recently, you know, heading into the season, where I think the entire rebuild, it seems a bit premature, but it almost seems like the entire rebuild is kind of on the line this year based on how things go, or at least how the rebuild will be perceived, you know, across the league. Yeah, you know, it's funny, like, we sort of... Uh, like Gavin mentioned in the previous segment, we went on the bank shot on WFAN today and talked with John Schmilke. We sort of had a similar discussion, although not really in the the Dolan part of things. But like, w- you know, how are we going to like classify success this year? And like, is it going to be wins and losses? Like, is it going to just be progress? Like, I personally, I don't know that I'm going to be tracking wins and losses all that closely unless it gets like unless the Knicks kind of surprise us and are like eight seed contenders or something. Then obviously I'll be you know, watching with bated breaths with every game to see if they win or lose. But I personally, like, as a fan, wouldn't care too much about that. I wonder how much, like, I don't know, it seems like Dolan very much cares about what other people think. I don't know if he necessarily has his own agenda as far as things Mm. go, but I think that he really despises if he feels like the fans are taking things out on him. Like, you know, I mean, you know, he hates when fans take things out on him because he literally will kick someone out of the arena for being like, Dolan, you suck. Like, he'll be like, ah, he harassed me. Get him out of here. Yeah. You know, like that's the thing that he'll do. And you also know that he despises bad newspaper coverage. You know, he he has uh, famously not invited the New York Daily News to certain things, which the longer time goes on, the, the the less I blame him for that, if we're being completely honest, based off of how uh, the the Daily News, you know, reporters conduct themselves and stuff. Um, but, you know, it's it's like I just think that he doesn't really have too much of an opinion of his own. Like if he thinks that, you know, if he has his finger on the pulse of the fans and on the pulse of of like the national and local media and thinks everybody's like more or less OK with how the Knicks are doing. You know, regardless of wins or losses, I think he's he's happy in that case. I think he just doesn't want to be looked at anymore as like like JD in the straight shot, like, you know, kazoo playing idiot that, you know, tanks all these Knicks teams by meddling and and, you know, being the root cause of all the problems. I think that he's just fine with, you know, seeing some progress, whatever that may be. And, you know, just as long as nobody's panning him in the media and blaming it all on him, he doesn't really care. At least that's my impression that I get off of him. Actually, I actually agree with that for the most part. I definitely think you're right. Uh, outside perception 
the general public's perception can skew his thought process and his decision making process drastically. And then to that point, then we can, you know, maybe a secondary follow up question is how quick does the media just go all in on the idea that this has been a total failure? You already hear the murmurs of that with, oh, this is what the Knicks promised. The Knicks said this, even though the Knicks really didn't say much at all. We already see that, you know, that sentiment, that narrative, so to speak, growing in the summer. Now, if we hit the season, and because one thing, Perry did build a team to at least try to win. He could have easily gone the route of this summer of collecting two, three bad contracts, running out a Dennis Smith Jr., RJ Knox, you know, Frank in there somewhere. He could have really just gone all in on the kids. But they definitely made an effort to show progress. I think Perry noticed that last year, you know, I don't think we made the progress we hoped. And I think he knows for us to even be a player in the future or a place where, you know, a player in free agency or a place where guys want to come, we will have to show more in terms of tangible progress. So I do wonder how quick does the media and how bad does it have to get and how soon for the media to just totally be, this is a complete waste, another failed Knicks rebuild, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, it, it, all this stuff is it, so, it's so fascinating to me because, I mean, you, you can make an argument, obviously. Steve Mills was heavily involved in the failures over the last couple of years. Scott Perry sort of inherited this situation. And, and even as someone who's like largely like a Knicks pessimist and is like probably too ready to bury them, like I, I just don't think I just don't know how much of this can be like laid at his feet. But uh, I think just from a psychological perspective, it, it, it's hard to separate the past from the present and say, all right, they might be on the right project trajectory, but do you have the patience to see it through? Because so many times, I mean, I think what the Knicks issue over the last 20 years, if you had to boil it down to one thing, it's been lack of patience more than anything else. They've always wanted to cut corners. They've every time they put together a good young cast, they've wanted to trade them away for the next alleged star. They've always just jumped on like the next like flashy free agent, whether it was Jerome James, 15 years ago, whether it was trying to trade for Steve Francis. Uh, I mean, you could, you could list a million different examples. And I, I guess at some point, what I would argue is you just have to, you have to commit to something and you have to believe in something. And I, I, I would hope Scott Perry is that guy. And if he, if he proves not to be, then it, it, it's this conflict because y you want to be different than everything you've done wrong in the past. But if you have the wrong guy, you have the wrong guy. So it, it's almost like, I, it's it's so funny. It's almost like a Sisyphusian struggle. Like the Knicks have like always had to like not only like fight against everyone else in the NBA, but like the perception of themselves a little bit. Yeah, that's why one reason I don't give David Fisdale too much grief for his performance last year because there, there are some issues I think a lot of people have, and rightfully so. But I always argue that being the coach of the Knicks, being the GM of the Knicks being the president of the Knicks, being the owner of the Knicks versus another franchise is a different kettle of fish. And while I think, you know, you compare uh, Fizz to Bud Budenholzer out in Milwaukee, who I fully believe is a better coach, but I do wonder how would he have dealt with the media? How would he deal with the fan perception? You know, Fizzdale's done such a decent job, and not to switch topics too much here, but Fizzdale's done such a good job, at least off-court, of, you know, kind of making us a little bit relevant in NBA circles in terms of, having our former players be much closer to the team. Uh, he has Coach K coming to training camp. I feel like he's, you know, he's really put in the effort to kind of rebuild our reputation. You know, you go back to those, that buzz phrase, culture change. And I wonder, you know, there, there's so many different aspects that go into it. That's why I think Perry's been handling 
his job at GM very well. I feel like he hasn't made missteps to the point where he's said something that he can be vilified for. And he hasn't really said much. He does his homework. If anything, we've become a franchise that really does their homework. You saw when they were working out uh, Frank Nitty, who's been playing Black Ops, G uh, Big Three, Drew League for years. So the Knicks, and even right before the draft, you know, we had like Kobe White out there the day before the draft, I think. So we do our homework now as a franchise, which I think is a big step up from Phil Jackson falling asleep at a guy's workout during the draft. Uh, so, you know, I think Perry's done a good job. I, like I said, it may be missed opportunities more so than a mistake that he, he's made. But, you know, you do wonder because Dolan is this elephant in the room. And unfortunately, it's something that as Nick fans is always going to be in the back of your mind because it's happened before. And we have seen the meddling. So I think I, I hope we stay along this path because I think it's the right one. But, you know, we have to wait and see what happens. You know, I actually I like what you were just saying about Fizz. So, you know what? That was a good ending point for this particular discussion. Let's take our second break. And then when we come back, let's talk a little bit about, about Fizzdale, how, you know, he could potentially be the coach for this team. If maybe he's the, the coach for right now versus the coach for the future. Um, and then also talk a little bit about how crowded uh, the roster in general is going into this year. So we'll take one more quick break, come back for our third and final segment of Locked on Knicks. Welcome to the final segment of Locked on Knicks, this very awesome episode with Terry Ross, a.k.a. Terrence Ross, not the basketball player, uh, <laughs> of NYK Terry and Trey. Find them on YouTube. Uh, so, it, Terry, you brought something up interesting in the last segment that I kind of... We, we went into this intentionally wanting to freewheel because we were like, you know what? We all talk about the Knicks all the time. There's things to talk about. Things will come up as we're talking here. Uh, you know, I'm kind of curious what your thoughts are about David Fisdale as, you know, is he just like, is he Mr. Uh, to use like a, like a dating term, is he Mr. Right or is he Mr. Right now? Because <laughs> I kind of think, I think that Fisdale is kind of Mr. Right now, if we're being honest. I don't know necessarily, based off last year at least, if he's going to be that guy to take this team to like prolonged relevance and potentially the promised land. But I do think that he's definitely, he seems like the right guy for this young team right now, managing, managing the young players, seemingly managing egos, managing the media, all the stuff during these kind of tough seasons. But I, I don't know necessarily based off last year, especially if he's going to be like that dude to take us like into the future, into like actual contention, whenever that may be. Right. I mean, it's Fizz the, the girl after the really bad breakup that helps you rebuild your confidence so you can go on to bigger and better things. Because if anything, I'll say this, he's done a really good job as much as he can to fight against our reputation, our his, you know, his reputation over the last 20 years of being a shady organization where bad things are happening and there's miscommunication. He's communicated well. That's one of his strengths. He's made an effort to involve whether it's former players with the team or just general NBA, you know, people, I think he got, did he get LeBron to talk to Kevin Knox last year? I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah like did. Little, Yeah. You, we've all in a weird way for the last 20 years, we've been this like chastised franchise. that seems like on the fringes of the league, despite being in the biggest market. And I feel like in many ways, he's kind of bringing us back into the fold. And I do think, you know, you got to crawl before you run. Right. So in many ways, I can't see who would have been a better coach for this time frame where we're literally starting from ground zero and trying to build back up into being a reputable franchise. I think how he's handled the media, 
how he's handled the kids. I mean, these guys were playing hard, regardless of how bad they were. They were playing hard into March and April last year. You know, that crazy Laker game last year with Hazonia. The Garden was excited. The kids were playing hard, and we saw it run through the season despite us winning 17 games. Now he has a roster where I have to admit I would be a bit disappointed if nothing works because it feels like a roster where you literally have three different starting lineups you could possibly put out there if you wanted. And to me, uh, he has to get something to click here. I think the biggest criticism of last year was that it felt like he just kept experimenting and nothing stuck. And I don't know. There's nothing I can look back at last year and really hang my hat on outside of some individual performances and obviously Mitch's growth. But I can't look from a team perspective and say, well, this is great because we're returning. I think we're returning like seven guys from last year. And those seven guys do this really great thing together. And there's none of that. There's that, you know, Zoe's a good ISO guy. Mitch can block shots at the rim. He's an insane rim protector. Kevin might be able to hit the three well this year. But I don't feel like I know much about them as a group together. I can barely even count on combinations outside of a few. Like I know Frank and Dot and Mitch had some chemistry together. But I can barely really count on combinations and say, well, now that this, you know, you could definitely see these three, four-man lineups coming back this year and doing really well because they did that last year. And that's a bit disappointing, to be honest, based on what I expected to see. You know, so, Terry, I wonder, is there, is there a, a common thread between Frank Nilakina, Damian Dotson, and Mitchell Robinson as far as how they play basketball compared to a lot of the guys from last year? Some, something called defense. I've heard about yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> now it's I, I'm so interested to e- even just like watch the the preseason games this year, which normally I wouldn't I wouldn't care all that much about. But I, I just I wonder who's going to be out of the rotation because if you you look at the roster and like they're just so clearly oversaturated. Like they have 14. I mean I mean if Iggy ends up being really good, maybe even like 15 guys that could like credibly play NBA minutes right off the bat. And I think realistically they're they're only going to end up playing. Like 10, and you, you can look at guys like Taj Gibson and say, okay, he'll kind of be like a breaking case of emergency third big. Maybe Bobby Portis um, gets a little better defensively, and you're able to use him as a center a bit more. But right now, it just looks so, so crowded. And I guess my question for you, Terry, and maybe this is this will bring the whole podcast full circle, and we'll get to talk about Frank Nilakina a little bit more. But who, who do you think is on the outs in the rotation? Like, does someone like Frank get banished? Does Damian Dotson, even if he's a better player this year, not get to play as much? Or is this just a case of, like, the vets are going to play early, and when the Knicks, I, at least in my mind, fall out of playoff contention, the younger guys will get their chance all right so i got my team team uh, doghouse here um awesome. i think iggy iggy is definitely there i don't think it's anything to do with iggy but he's a second round pick he's not going to complain you can definitely doghouse him for 40 games 50 games get some trades going and give him the end of the season depending on how good we are good or bad we are so i think iggy's gonna it's gonna happen to him just you know by circumstance frank is obviously a huge candidate you can hardly find minutes for him. There's a legit backup point guard. The Knicks are clearly investing in Dennis Smith as possibly being the starter. And then at the two position where Frank could play as well, there are already four guys. And so I don't really see him getting minutes and another one who's not going to complain. Now, Frank's an interesting one just because of the contract situation. You, if, even if you want to get something out of him, you would have to play him. And we don't know how he's going to come into training camp. But I could see him getting being in the doghouse. Now, to Dotson, you know, played a lot last year. But he also got benched very randomly at times. And, you know, even people had issues with Frank's benching. But Dotson's benchings were way more egregious because they were kind of based on nothing, it felt like. Whereas, you know, Frank had his issues with offense. 
So Damian Dotson, he's an, my, my most interesting ones for the season because he is, I believe he's a restricted free agent at the end of the year. But both him and Alonzo Trier are free agents. I don't see the Knicks after drafting R.J. Barrett signing both of those guys. So I feel in a way they may be in some kind of odd competition with one another. Not personally, but just in terms of how the cap might work out. And Dotson had shoulder surgery. So I'm not sure how much training. I mean, I'm sure he's been working out, etc. But, you know, for shooters, when they can't shoot X number of shots per day, per day, they can definitely start a season rusty. So if Dotson starts off a little bit rusty, I can see him getting in there pretty quickly. Then you have Todd Gibson. You know, he's in for veteran leadership. I actually think Todd is going to be way better than people think. Um, because he, in many ways, if you really look at his actual play outside of just rim protection, he's probably a better defender than Mitch. And I think Todd is going to end up earning minutes just by being a smart, cerebral guy who's been on winning teams. I think he's like, is he the only guy on the team that's really been on winning teams outside of Marcus Morris? Ellington like, has been on the Heat, who have made the playoffs before, yeah. and other teams like that. But uh, I think the high, yeah, but I think Todd's maybe the highest level in terms of how good those Bulls teams were. Oh, no doubt. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he's he, definitely the most the most experienced at the high level. Yeah, and that guys like that find a way on the court more often than not. So, but I do think he's someone who will probably be fine. He's from in New York City. He's from Brooklyn, so he's happy to be very happy to be home. So I could see him just being someone who's chilling. They also overpaid him, and I think maybe that's all part of it. So oh, I think Marcus Morris main... too, obviously. Sorry, not to interrupt. Marcus Morris oh, yeah. has been on the but Celtics the, teams, obviously Celtics too. Well. Yeah, definitely. So <laughs> it should be, it'll, it'll be interesting to see. So that's my doghouse, really. Iggy, Frank, Dotson, Taj, I think are the main, and obviously Reggie Bullock because I don't think he's going to play for a long, long time. I think he's going to be the Courtney Lee of this season, where you keep waiting for him to come back, but maybe it doesn't even happen till like the end of the year. So those are really my five that I really see possibly, you know, getting in the doghouse, but. It's going to be insane because, you know, look at Kevin Knox. He's a guy who went from playing way too many minutes last year to where his minutes could be severely cut by Marcus or maybe by RJ even playing at the three. So it's going to be a really interesting year. I really do think still they signed maybe two guys too many. And I think the Morris signing, while I obviously like it, Morris is a very good player. And I think he's going to add a lot to the team. But he was really the odd one in the sense that I think they had planned out what they were doing. And then Morris became available and we had to adjust. I don't think the plan, obviously, the plan was not to sign Marcus Morris. And I wonder if they knew Marcus Morris would be available if they wouldn't have signed someone else. And I definitely think they wouldn't have signed someone else, actually. I think they probably wouldn't have signed Bobby Portis, personally. I feel like if they knew that Marcus Morris was coming, because, like, Portis and Randall sort of play the same general position and role, in in theory. Like, they're kind of like the stretch four that can also move down to five, whereas Morris is like the stretch four that can move up to three. Right. I feel like they would have thought that was a little more useful roster balance wise, but then they wound up with both of them, which whatever. I mean, they're both they're both good, should hopefully both be tradable. You know, if you decide you want to trade them at a certain point, uh, they both definitely have skills. I actually want to throw You sort of alluded to it. I actually think I have a surprise potential doghouse guy, and I think oh. it's Kevin Knox. I, I wow. think. OK, because I think if. Fisdale wants to finally put up or shut up with this whole like defense first thing. Right. Knox would be the poster child for that because Knox legitimately was garbage on defense for a lot of time last year. Um, And, you know, was letting people buy him constantly. Couldn't defend anything. And I mean, it's not, it's not that he doesn't have the physical tools to, because he definitely does. I mean, he's, he's pretty long. He's got good size for his position. He's, 
he's not the most athletic guy on the planet, but he's got athleticism. You know, it's not like he's he's completely immobile or anything. Um, so I think I and you know this would require this is another one of those things we we're talking about with Fisdale of like how you start judging him. I want to see Fisdale actually commit to this whole like defense first monster that he kept preaching last year because he never committed to that last year. Um, you know, he routinely sat the best defensive lineups that they had in favor of more guys that just wanted to go out there and get their shots up and stuff. And so I would like, it's not that I want to see Knox fail, but if Knox comes out and he's putting the same level of effort in on defense this year, as he was last year, I'd like to see him get a stint in the doghouse, get some DMP CDs, you know, and get sort of not like Fisdale doesn't do this and nobody should, but not like publicly like chewed out or anything, but you know, like Fisdale give an honest assessment and be like, Knox wasn't performing on defense. And so we sat him like, we need someone who's going to be a good team defender out there. And hopefully that lights a fire under Knox and whatever. But that's my surprise doghouse candidate. I think maybe, and that would be encouraging to me if if that happened to Knox in the same way sort of that it happened to Frank last year, but in terms of Frank's offense, you know, like if they started holding things to the same standards offensively and defensively, that would be good to me this year. Yeah, I mean, it would show you something while I'm sure we'd be not upset that Knox is not playing, but obviously we'd be a little bit disappointed if Knox's defense is just as bad. I think on the flip side, uh, it would be cool and good and important to see Fisdale sticking to something. Um, especially on the defensive end, because last year he preached defense, but it felt like he preached defense, but actually praised aggression overall. Not necessarily actually defense, just like an idea of a guy being aggressive. So um, that would actually be, you know, that's a surprise one. But if it happened, I would actually get more, it would give me a little bump in faith in uh, David Fisdale as maybe the, not just Mr. Right now, but Mr. Right. I'm with it. Gavin, do you have anything else to add to this? I feel like we could probably... Uh probably wrap up for today i feel like that was a nice a nice round discussion right there at the end yeah i'm still i'm still floored by your kevin knox as a doghouse guy take i, I actually <laughs> i like it i like i think i like it too yeah the, the whole thing was and i guess like i mean I, i'm I, i've said it a million times i'm not not a huge fan of all the free agents that the knicks brought in but i do like that it'll just inherently create accountability for all the young guys last year and it's just it's fascinating to see i mean it's sort of like a live like litmus test of what the better model to improve a young player is do you just give them as many minutes as possible let them make all their mistakes or or do you challenge them and say hey you have to beat out uh marcus morris who's like 6'9 240 uh kind of an asshole and like a pretty good shooter and a pretty good defender like you you have to go through that guy you have to be better than him and and i i don't know what the answer is but i'm intrigued to see what kind of effect it's going to have on kevin knox and i I think i think you make a great point alex that like maybe that does push him to the bench and maybe it forces him to to make a leap that we've been waiting for so uh, i'm intrigued to see how it all uh turns out before we wrap up terry anything to plug on your channel which I, i can't say enough times is is really excellent i always get a kick out of watching all the videos you guys put up, but anything new coming or anything you guys done in the last couple of days you want people to see? Yeah, definitely. Um, So do you want me to say now or you want me to just wait till we get on? Go go for it. Yeah, okay. So we have a, uh, we just launched a new series called Nick's Throwback uh, with Vivek Dadhania from Nick's Film School, who does a lot of history stuff. So we're meeting with him and we're talking to him about some of the biggest moments. The the reason the series came to me is I realized how many people on Twitter are like 18 (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and one of them was just talking about when they were like 10 years old and Melo got signed. 
and I felt very old. Yeah. So I'm like, they, you know, a lot of these kids don't have any concept of us being good. Or, yeah, that's me. Yeah, all the context behind the moments. Because even when we were great, like that mellow moment uh, at the Garden was more than just, the, you know, against the Bulls on Easter. That was more than just, you know, him hitting those shots. You know, at that point, it felt like after all the despair, we finally got a franchise savior, et cetera, et cetera. So I like to give, we like to give the context behind those um, moments. And the second one we'll be working on will be Willis Reed walking out of the garden in game seven of the NBA Finals. So that's something that's new. It's up on the channel. It's the second to last video if you go there. So definitely check that out. Put a lot of work into it. So, yeah. That sounds awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm excited for that. I, I feel like sometimes we don't do enough historical stuff uh, on this podcast. So I'm glad, I'm glad that's being covered. Uh, and, and Terry, thank you so much for taking the time to come on. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me on, guys. And of course, you can also find them at NYK Terry and Trey on uh, Twitter as well. So Terry and Trey on YouTube and NYK Terry and Trey on Twitter. So thanks so much again, Terry, for coming on. And this has been your, your French uh, versus or France versus USA preview edition of Locked on Knicks with Terry Ross. So that's it for today. Peace out, guys. And we'll talk to you soon.